So, so to get started today, I just want to, I want to tell you a little story. How many of you guys are wondering what's in the cooler? Anybody? Anybody wondering? Uh, you're going to have to wait. So I'm going to tell you the story first. Um, so so in, in April of 2017, uh, over 5,000 people bought tickets to what was built as the most epic music festival called the Fire Festival. So people spent between $4,000 and $100,000 per ticket to go to this festival, almost as much as some of you paid to go see George Auburn yesterday. Come on. So, so they, they paid money for this luxurious experience. You know, it was going to have uh, five-star plus accommodations. It was going to have Michelin-star rated uh, food. It was going to have the ability to, you know, rub elbows with celebrities and have some of the finest entertainment that you could have. Uh, the, the, the snapshot on this festival read like this. A place where tropical sun shines all day and our celebrations ignite the night. This is an invitation to unplug, connect with something deeper, and hunt for something bigger. The location was a remote tropical island that was once owned, purportedly, by Pablo Escobar himself. Fun in the sun, in the sand, with people that you love, the most luxurious accommodations. But what turned out to be the fire festival actually turned into the fire fraud. The fire fraud. For those who were expecting, you know, Ritz-Carlton level accommodations, this is what they found when they arrived at this island. They found FEMA tents. True story. This is a true picture. Inside the FEMA tents were mattresses that were rain-soaked from all of the rain that had happened over the last two weeks. This was glorified camping, you know. And some of you wouldn't, you wouldn't go camping for free, much less pay to camp. And so this is what they found when they arrived at the island. Now, the food that was supposed to be Michelin star rated cooks actually turned out to be bread and cheese and a side salad in a styrofoam container, much like the sides you get at your favorite barbecue restaurant. Am I right? And this is what they find when they stumble into this particular event. And, and, and how does something like this happen? Like, like, how do so many people spend so much money for something that turned out to be a fraud? After it was all said and done, the promoter of the event found himself convicted and jailed for scamming people out of roughly $26 million. How does that happen? Like, how do you draw somebody in to that kind of bad decision? It's very, very easy. It was by the invitations of influencers. Invitations by influencers. Now, influencers, I'm speaking of the current term influencer, the one that was added to the dictionary in 2019, social media influencers. The Fire Festival enlisted 400 social media influencers that had a reach of over 300 million people and was able to have them spend $26 million to show up at this event that turned out to be a fraud. Like, here's what the invitation looked like. It was just this orange square that was a post and it just had these two words, join me, join me, just a simple invitation. You know, some invitations are great, and some invitations maybe not so great. This invitation reached 300 million people, and they spent about $26 million, wasted $26 million. And here's where we see the power of the invitation. The power of the invitation is the power of influence. The power of the invitation of inviting someone to join you and inviting someone into something that you like, inviting someone to do something that you do, inviting someone to come along with you, that is the power of influence. If you want influence, the way to get it is through invitation. Now, now again, we, there's, good in, there's good influence and there's bad influence. And we've all had some bad influences in our, in our life. How many parents in the room? How many parents in the room? How many times have you looked at one of your kid's friends and thought they're a bad influence? <laughs> 
Yep, come on, we get that. I mean, we know that. I've had some bad influences in my life. And I'm not talking about Debbie. I've had some other bad influences. You know, I mean, I can remember as a kid when my friends invited me. He invited me to use my uh, slingshot to blow it, to uh, shoot a hole into this gas lantern in my neighbor's yard. And so I was invited to bad influence. But I've had some good influences, too. And we all have influence. You have influence with your family. If you're married, you have spouse and children. You have influence every single day. You have influence with people that you work with. You have influence with people that you play tennis with. You have influence with people that you um, go to mom's morning out with. You have influence over parents that you sit with at a lacrosse game. We, we all have influence. And, and, and here's the thing. God wants us to use our influence. God wants, us to, wants you to use your influence. Like, what, what, what could happen in one conversation? What could happen in one act of kindness? What could happen in one invitation to a better, bigger, greater, more meaningful life? What could God do with that? Listen, somebody you know, somebody you know is one invitation away from understanding why life, how life comes together. Somebody you know is one invitation away from erasing the shame of their past. Somebody you know is one invitation away from finally kicking that addiction. Somebody you know is one invitation away from their marriage being rescued. And we all want influence. And I believe that if we understand the power of the invitation today. So you may be here and you're like, you're not someone who follows Jesus. You're new here and you're just kind of figuring this whole thing out. What a great Sunday for you to be here. To understand exactly why we would invite you to come here. Why would we open the doors? Why would we show up? And for those of us who do follow Jesus, this is the opportunity for us today to put a stake in the ground and say, I'm going to live a life of lasting influence. I'm not going to have regrets about the past, the things that I didn't do, the things that I thought was too much work, that I am going to have the influence that God created me for. Good? So let's open up our Bibles. We'll be in John chapter 4. John chapter 4, um, you can notice, um, you can go to the app, you can grab a paperback that we have in the back. But John chapter 4, now here's the thing. This is a little bit for some of you guys that have been, maybe you've been walking with Jesus for a while. Some of you, this, this uh, story may be a little familiar, okay, maybe a little familiar. And, uh, and, and it, it is for me too. I may have read this story more than any other story in the Bible. But man, I believe God showed me a couple things this week, some things that were kind of put on my radar that I realized about this that hopefully I'll share. And you'll be like, oh wow, I never saw it that way. And it will help you to live a life of great influence. To kind of get into the story, to set the context for it. So Jesus, he's a, he's a traveling evangelist. So he's always on the move from this city to this city, telling people about the kingdom of God. And so he is in the southern part of Palestine, and he is going to the northern part. And to get there, he has to go through Samaria, this country um, a, a, that's, that, that, that's actually uh, there at odds with everything that's Jewish. And I'll get to that in just a second. So he finds himself at a well. It's noon. It's hot. He's been walking for a while. He's thirsty and hungry, so he's with his disciples, his closest followers, kind of his posse, as it were, and they stop. Jesus stays, and then he sends the disciples into town to go and buy food. So here Jesus is by himself, and a Samaritan woman walks up, a woman who lives in that area. She walks up, and she begins to sit next to him, and she began, she came there to get water from the well. Now remember, it's noon. Not, most people didn't come at noon because it was hot. And that's, they, you wanted to come in the cool of the day. It was the social center for that particular village. So you came there to get, your, to get your news, to find out what's going on, to connect with other people. And so this is the setting that Jesus finds himself in with this one particular woman. Let's start in verse 7 of chapter 4. It says, A woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, 
ask for a drink for me, a woman of Samaria. For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. So, so a little bit more on, that, on this particular conflict that we have. So there was religious conflict with the people of Samaria. Literally thousands of years before, they had this argument about where to worship God, this mountain or that mountain. It, it sounds a little bit like old church battles about what color the carpet should be. Anybody experienced that before? Not here, but in other places. And so they have this feud that's going on. It was religious. It also was racial. There was a lot of racial animosity, a lot of racial hatred that was happening. And then to top it all off, you have this woman show up. And men and women in that culture out in public didn't communicate with each other. That's not how it worked. And so she's, she's like, what are you, what, what's going on? Like, like, how can you even ask me for a drink? And it's almost that Jesus is like, glad you asked. Because he's going to get into it. So we see as the story goes on. It says, Jesus answered her, if you knew, now this is critical to the story, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him. He's talking in the third person about himself at the moment, like LeBron James. You would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And the woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? And so as we look at this gift of God, what we see in this context is that this is something that comes from God and it's free. We don't understand free, do we? We, we live by the motto, you get what you pay for. And if it's free, there must be a catch or some strings attached. Oh, you'll give that to me if I give you my email address. Never mind. It's not free. We, we don't understand free. And so what Jesus is trying to point out to her and where he's going to get to with this is that this is free. You don't have to work for it. You can't earn it. You can quit trying so hard that everything that we do to try to make God happy and please ourselves with God, all the good things, the places that we do, all the bad places that we go, he's like, stop it. It's a gift. But I love these three words, if you knew. Like if she just knew the offer that was in front of her. And I think that people that we know have the same perspective, if they only knew. If your friends knew who Jesus was, their lives would be different. If you know who Jesus is, your life is different. If our world knew the beauty of Jesus, the glory of of Jesus, the care and concern and grace of Jesus, if they only knew, if they only knew. And Jesus points this out to her, if you knew the gift of God. And then he bridges the gap for her. And, and, and this, is, this is where Jesus is a master in teaching because he takes something, he's going to take a physical need and attach it to a spiritual need. So he bridges this gap when he starts talking about living water. He starts talking about living water. And this is a metaphor in the Bible for obviously for water that brings what? Life, of course. This is that metaphor. There's two kinds of water. There's water that's flowing that has life, and there's water that's stagnant. Have you ever experienced stagnant water? Maybe uh, something around your house, you left a bucket out and it rained, and next thing you know it smells bad, mosquitoes are pouring out of it, and there's bacteria in it, it's turning all kinds of colors. Your dog drinks it and dies. I mean, bad things happen in stagnant water. And so, but living water is water that's flowing. It's full of life. It, you know, it, it, it has nutrients and it's flowing. And so we see this metaphor used throughout the Bible. In, in the book of Revelation, which John, who wrote this story, also wrote, in the book of Revelation, he writes this. There was an angel that showed John the river of the water of life. Like this is an image of the end times, the life that we'll enjoy forever as we follow Jesus. Bright as crystal flowing uh, from the throne of God and of the Lamb throughout through the middle of the street of the city. So imagine you're in a city and there's this river that's flowing through. And every time you need a drink for life, you can just go get some. Like, that's an amazing image. There's another image in Isaiah that Jesus is probably using as he's teaching this. Come, everyone who 
thirst. Have you ever been really thirsty? Not, not just from at the end of a day, but really thirsty. He says, come everybody who's thirsty. Come to the waters. He who has no money, buy and eat. Buy wine and milk without money, without price. Listen, if you're thirsty, Jesus is the place to go. And Jesus takes this bridge from physical thirst to spiritual thirst. Now, now here's where we face a little bit of a problem. It's because we don't really get what it means to be physically thirsty. You know, in Jesus' culture, they had to go every day to the well to get water, to drink, to wash clothes. Every day. It wasn't like they were able to take water and store it. They had to go every day to the well. She goes in the heat of the day. It was a lot of work to go. But for us, we've got water everywhere. Water, water everywhere. Have you noticed this? Like how many of you, you know, we, we can drink water out of our taps. Anybody do that? Like you can. You probably don't think you can, but you can. How many of you, how many of you grew up drinking water out of the hose in your front yard? Come on. Now, that, makes, that may explain some of our health problems now, but hey, we used to do it. We have water. How many of you have this big hole in your backyard that has thousands of gallons of water? Wait, there's more of you than that. It's called a pool. Get with me. Okay? Like, what about when you need hot water, you just turn the water on and you just let it run? We have water. Water in our country is over a $20 billion industry. $20 billions. We have all kind of different flavors and styles of water. Let me show you a few. I've got in this, in this cooler, I've got about 30 different kinds. And I'm going to show you all of them, not really. Um, I'm going to start easy. Hey, here's just some generic Publix spring water. It's in a bottle. Anybody, anybody like Publix water? It's pretty good. Um, not only that, here is some Evian made in the fr French Alps. You like that? It's a long way to go for water. I'm just saying. Don't we have some like in Amicalola Falls or something? <laughs> Evian. What about this? Some of you need this. Smart water. <laughs> yeah, for those of you who aren't laughing, come get this bottle right now. Um, hey, now if that's not good, here's smart water that's sparkling. That's for you who need a little extra help. Um, watch this. Okay. Fiji in the square bottle. Who's favorite? Right here. Come on. Hey, here's, here's my problem with this. You know what the problem was? It doesn't fit my cup holder. It's a problem. I hate that because it's square, but I'm with you. This is the best. Um, his dad works for Fiji. Um, Hey, co coconut water, coconut water, I love this, never from concentrate, really, like really. Um, and then, um, what about this one? It, it doesn't even have a name on it. Now, some of you think this is a silver bullet. It's not, um, but it just says proud source, pristine Rocky Mountain spring water. And then you have, some of you guys, some of you ladies like this, LaCroix, is that how you say that? I'm kidding. LaCroix, like some of you want that right now. Listen, only when mixed with vodka. I don't know what the problem is. You, not me. You, not me. And we go on and on and on. I could pull out bottle after bottle to where we're tired of me pulling out bottles. Perrier, Pellegrino, Topo Chico. It goes on and on. It goes on and on. And here's my favorite. Just water. Just water. And here's what can happen. In our overabundance of water, Different kinds, different flavors, different styles, different packaging, and our overabundance of water, we miss, we miss the connection to what it means to be spiritually thirsty. We miss what's going on in people's hearts when they are spiritually thirsty. The reality is people you know are spiritually thirsty. You are spiritually thirsty. And we go to so many places to quench that thirst that do not work. And people in our 
communities are spiritually thirsty. And here I just want to talk to you about the, the power of this invitation right here. Statistics would tell us that like in our country, there's about 135 million people who don't go to church, don't believe in Jesus, don't go to church, have given up on it. But it also would tell us that almost 80% of people would attend church, would attend church if invited by a friend. 80%. So you're getting close to 100 million people. That's, I know that's pastoral math, but it's close to 100 million people that would accept an invitation to church. But, but here's a critical distinction we need to understand. And here's what Jesus wants us to know. If we're not careful, we'll think we're inviting them to church. And it'll look like we're promoting a product. Hey, come sit in our seat. Come enjoy our show. Enjoy our entertainment. Be a part of something cool. But the real reality is Jesus wasn't promoting a product. He was pointing to life. Jesus is not promoting a product. He's pointing to life. And when we invite somebody, and if, you, if, you, if, if this is your home, I need you to look, re, listen really carefully. When we invite somebody, we're not promoting the Stone Creek brand. Listen, we're not, we're not talking about anything that's cool. We're not inviting people to come and laugh with us. We're inviting people to come and have life. This is what people desperately need. Some people, you know, one question, one invite away from life change. This is why we do what we do. It should, it should change how we see Sunday morning. You know, when we park cars and we greet people and we register people, when we have a greeting time and we laugh and we have energy, we're doing that to point people to life. This is what Jesus did, and this is the opportunity that we have. This is why you have invite cards in your seat. It's for us to remember, especially as we get to this Christmas season, so many people are wide open to coming and experiencing a church service. And we, don't want, we want them to experience more than that. More than church, we want them to experience life change. Because we believe that in Jesus, that's what happens. So Jesus talks to this woman of Samaria. He talks to her about this living water that he has. But then, he, then now that her curiosity is raised, he just keeps going. So the woman says, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Of course. Like, who wouldn't want more of that? And then Jesus says to her, go call your husband and come here. What? Like, we were just talking about water, Mr. Jew. And now, now, now you're talking about husbands and stuff. I don't know what's happening. Like, why does he do that? Because Jesus knows something, doesn't he? He knows something. Keeps on going. The woman answered him, I have no husband. She's not lying. She has no husband. And Jesus said to her, you were right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. That feels painful. That feels almost cruel. For Jesus to just pour out on this unsuspecting Samaritan woman who is literally there at noon because of her shame, because of her guilt, because she's been spiritually thirsty and looked in the wrong places. And now Jesus just pours it all out on her. What, what, what is that about? Well, here's what Jesus knew. He knew that unless she came face to face with where she'd taken her spiritual thirst, she would never look into his eyes and see the work he could do in her heart. Jesus knew. He knew that this was an act of dignity for her, that her story mattered that it wasn't something that she needed to hide away because she'd been hiding it and it had become stagnant water in her life. It had become poisonous. And, and, and he knew that in that messiness of her life, there was a miracle waiting to happen. And I wonder how many times we miss the miracle because we don't want to get in the mess. Like, have you ever, have you ever just avoided the mess of somebody's life because it was just going to take up too much time? Have you ever had this experience you say, 
how are you doing? And they actually tell you, and you think to yourself, I was just being polite. I didn't really want to know all that. Like sometimes we, we are so worried about the mess and the time it's going to take that, that we miss the miracle in those moments. You know, the old saying goes like this, time is measured in minutes, life is measured in moments. And sometimes we miss the moment because we put too much emphasis on the minute. Anybody ever done that? I've had an experience and a privilege to be in the mess of some people's lives. I've heard some stories. I've helped some people. I've been able to share the gospel, and I think that's you know one of the privileges of being a pastor. I'm and I'm I'm grateful for that. But I've had my share of misses too, and one that I'll share with you is there was a Sunday that I had preached our two services, and I uh, went to the airport and I flew to uh, out to Plano in Dallas, Texas. Usually that's where the Texans holler. I'm just saying, but. Um, flew out to Dallas for some meetings, and I got there about 9, 9.30 at night. And so I was, it had been a long day. I was tired. I had some work I needed to do to get ready for my meetings on that Monday morning. And so as I walk into the lobby, I'm at this uh, Courtyard Marriott in uh, Plano, Texas. And I, as I walk in this kind of nondescript hotel, you know, just, any, just one that I picked, and, and uh, I walk in the lobby, and there is someone from our church standing in the lobby of this hotel in Plano, Texas. Now, for those of you who traveled, you know what a long shot that is. It doesn't happen. So I know he's in the journey, so I go and I have this conversation with him. And then a friend of his is there, and uh, we had this conversation for about 15 minutes. And then they say, well, listen, we're going to dinner. Why don't you come with us? And I was like, you know what? I've had a long day, and I've got a lot of work to do. I'm going to have to take a pass on that. And I missed my moment, didn't I? Because I was so worried about my minutes. I wonder how many times that happens to us in this room. And so we need to understand that, that God has created us, wired us. He has ordered our lives in such a way that there are moments where we have the ability and the opportunity to help someone and to point them to life. Like how many times have you talked to somebody after the disaster happened? You know, you talk to somebody when all of a sudden there's a moving van at their house and they've gone through a divorce and you're like, if I'd have just known. How many times have you met someone or talked to a friend and they've just gone through a health crisis and you didn't have any idea? How many times have you talked to someone and you, their child has gone through a difficult time and you're like, oh, I think I could have helped if I would have known. But what happens is we're so, so, so caught up on our minutes, we miss the moment. And Jesus, Jesus takes time to get into the mess because he didn't want to miss the miracle. Now, what we need to be able to do is to be able to look for people's needs. When we hear people who have a need, let me just say it this way. Jesus is the answer to every need. That's where somebody should say amen. Jesus is the answer to every need. Jesus is the answer to every need. And I'm not just talking because I get paid to do that because I'm a professional. I've, I've got firsthand experience from my own life and other people. Listen, Jesus, Jesus is the answer to every need. So we need to be intentional and not miss the moments. That's what influencers do. And that's what one invitation can do in somebody's life. Well, the disciples show back up. Jesus had this conversation, the disciples show back up, and they marveled that he was talking with a woman. But nobody said, what are you seeking, or why are you talking with her? So have you ever walked up on a, two people maybe having a conversation, and when you walk up, it just shuts down all of a sudden? And so one of two things has happened. Either they're having a serious conversation, or they're talking about you. And, and so <laughs> they walk up, they don't know what to say, it's awkward, it's awkward. And so here's the woman now. These men have showed up. She's just had this life-changing encounter. Like, what is happening? It just told me everything. And so here's what she does. She's left her water jar. 
She leaves her water jar, and she goes away into town, and she says to the people, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they went out of the town, and they, meaning the entire town, the entire village, were coming to him, meaning coming to Jesus. So first thing we see, she leaves her water jar. Man, she leaves her water jar. And a lot, there's, that's a detail that's in there, and most people think that that's kind of what happens. There are some things that you need to leave behind when you begin to follow Jesus. And there are some times when it's going to be uncomfortable. There are some times when it takes some time. There are some times when we have to quit worrying about our minutes to catch the moment. There are some things that we need to leave behind. And this woman leaves behind what was temporary and immediate for what was eternal and significant. Because she knew. She had to go tell somebody. And so she goes and she tells people, I wonder what, what some of us need to leave behind today. Like, I wonder what it is we're holding on to. I wonder what level of comfort we're hanging on to. What level of uncertainty that we just live in. Like, I, don't, I can't do any work. I can't invite people. I can't be a part of that. And we're just hanging on because we need to put down and leave our water jar. But I love this invitation that she gives. Come see. It was simple. And John, who wrote this, John, throughout this, this particular story of Jesus that he wrote, he uses these two words frequently. Come and see. Come and see. And this is, this is part of the command for people who follow Jesus is to tell people to come and see and to experience a man. And here's what I love. Who told me all that I ever did. You know who else knew everything that she'd done? Everybody in the village. Small town. We know how that works. Everybody knew her mistakes. Everybody knew her reputation. Everybody knew her shame. Everybody knew what makes Jesus different. Jesus wanted to use her past for her and restore her. Other people wanted to use her past against her and judge her. That's the difference. And so because of Jesus, her life has changed. And she just makes this invitation to everybody in the village. Everybody to come and everybody to see. And they do. And what we find out is that the whole village begins to follow Jesus. They come out in droves to follow him. And then Jesus goes on in his teaching. It says, meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. They just start getting the picture. You notice this? Eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you don't know about. So the disciples said to each other, has anyone brought him something? Like, did you give him a sandwich? I don't know what happened. Some Twizzlers or something to help bridge the gap? And Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish this work. Listen, don't say there are yet four months. Then the harvest, look, I'm telling you right now, look up and see the fields are white for harvest. And so what Jesus does is he bridges to another metaphor, a farming metaphor. And he talks about the harvest amidst their, their, their obsession with him getting a snack. They, he focuses on the harvest. And he's like, you, you know when the harvest is ready. You know, four months, we'll wait. It's going to happen. He's like, lift, lift up your eyes. And what scholars would say is that at that moment, coming over the hill, were people from the village. And they would have been dressed in white robes in the way that they dressed back in that culture. And as they come, he's saying, look, there's the harvest. It is right in front of you. You don't need a platform with millions of followers. You don't need a stage to stand on. You just need to notice the people that are right here. That's how we have influence. Listen, you have way more influence with people that you know personally than you do with people that you know professionally from a distance. People who you know, you know their name, you know their story, you have so much more influence. Because they trust you, they believe in you, and they know that you have good for them. I wonder who is right in front of you that you need to influence, that you need to invite 
Like, who is that person that God's put in your life? Maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe it's a family member. You know, maybe it's just, you know, the person you take your cleaning to every week and drop it off. Or maybe the person who cuts your hair every other week. Or does your nails once a month. Or however often you guys do that. Like, who is it that's right in front of you that you need to invite? That invitation, that's your influence, that's your opening. And Jesus says, don't look any further. Don't put it off. Just notice the people around you. And then, and then he gets into what I think is potentially the most, the most interesting part of the story. So he says this, the one who reaps. Now, what Jesus is talking about here is spiritual reaping. That the one who has invited people, the, one who has shown, the, the people who have shown others who Jesus is, the ones who have helped people follow Jesus, they are reaping. They're the ones who are reaping. He is receiving wages. He's gathering fruit for eternal life. That feels like a win. You're going to have it forever. You're going to have fruit forever for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. So, For the saying holds true. One sows, another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you don't labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. So let me unpack this for just a minute. I've already explained what spiritual reaping is. Who in this story is reaping? Who in this story has had the most influence? Now, the, the logical people you would go to would be the disciples. They're hand-selected. They're trained. We know that later in the story, the, the church is founded on their work. They are amazing, heroic individuals. But in this story, the disciples go into town. They go into this small village, and they bring back a sandwich. This Samaritan woman goes into the village, and she brings back a village. Who do you want to be? When we see it, it says the one who reaps, she's the one who reaps. She's the one who saw the fruit. She's the one who had influence because she invited them to come and see. He even says it down here. Jesus says, I sent you to reap that for which you didn't labor. I sent you to in town. You came back, you came back with food. You didn't, you didn't see with spiritual eyes. You didn't notice the people in the village. You were probably too worried about being seen or scared about being in enemy territory. But the woman, she didn't care. She came back with the village. The disciples missed their moment. We don't want to miss ours. I don't know how many of you may remember the person that invited you to church for the first time. Maybe you were in high school, 16-year-old floundering from a broken family, and somebody invited you, and you didn't know what to expect, and they sang some songs that you didn't know, but you heard about this, this person who would give you the water of life, and you began to follow him. Maybe you were, maybe you were a child. Maybe it was your parents. Maybe your parents invited you. They took you. Sometimes it felt like they forced you. But the reality is, in that experience, you, you were blessed because you came to know who Jesus was and began, and began to follow him. Like, who was it that invited you? See, see here's the truth of the story. All, all these water bottles, eventually, they're going to be empty. They're going to run out. And here's what we know about Jesus. He is the beginning and the end, the alpha and the omega. Another thing about those water bottles is they're eventually going to go out of style, aren't they? Like next week, there'll be some new grand invention that we all need that some study has said will nourish our bodies better than any of these, and they're going to they're gonna go out of style. But Jesus never changes. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that's why, that is why we have got to sell out to helping people enjoy 
the water of life and quit chasing and trying to drink things that can never quench their thirst. Let's pray together. So just in this quiet moment, who was it that invited you? Just think back. Now, for some of you, this is the place where they invited you. This is the place that you've come. This is the place where God seems to be working in your heart. And you've never really made that decision to follow Jesus, to just take that step to say, I believe. I believe in this man who came and died for my sins. This man who loved me so much, he gave it all up for me. And this man whom I find forgiveness. And today's that day for you. Because the part of the story that hit you was the guilt and the shame. It was the things that you've done wrong. And it was the bad influence you've had over people. And you know you need forgiveness for that, but you also need a new path forward. And what we know about Jesus is that when we begin to follow him, when we step into life with him, he begins to change and transforms our lives. Not just give us a temporary spiritual fix to quench some thirst, but it's eternal. And I would love to help you make that step to follow Jesus this morning. You know, the way that we do that is just in prayer. And I would love to lead you in a prayer this morning just to help you step into a future and an eternity with Jesus himself. So if that's you today, you've never made that step to follow Jesus, just in your own heart, say it in your own words, but something like I would pray. Dear God, I ask you to forgive me for my sins. I believe that Jesus came and died for me. And I ask you to give me living water. I will follow Jesus for the rest of my life. You know what the Bible says that for those of us who do that, when we step into that, when we make that commitment, our lives are different. We have different motivations. We look to satisfaction differently. And because it's such an important step in the journey of someone's spiritual journey, we want to help you mark the moment this morning. We want to help you not have to keep going back to wells that run dry wells that can't satisfy. So if that was you this morning, if you were one that prayed that, I'm going to invite you, I'm going to count to three, and I'm just going to invite you to mark the moment by raising your hand in victory. It's just a way for you, nobody's looking around, it's just a way for you and God and for me to just affirm your decision today. So on the count of three, I'm going to invite you just to lift your hand if you prayed that today. One, two, three. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks. That's awesome. God, we're just grateful for those who have just made that step today. God, to want more than what they're experiencing. And God, today I just ask um, for us as a church, Lord, that we'd be the people that just, we look for places where others have maybe run out of. We would meet needs and listen for needs, God, and we would just be bold in inviting people to point into the life that they can have in Christ. And God, that we would believe so desperately in the gospel. God, that we would invite people. God, restore to us the joy of our salvation. Help us remember the time that we began to follow you, the day when we stepped forward, the day we raised our hand in victory and you changed us. God, I pray you would help us to be very, very intentional and specific about saying, hey, I would love to see you Sunday. I'd love for you to join me on Sunday. I would love for you to come to church with me. God, help us to be that specific and that intentional. And God, I know that you'll orchestrate our paths and our lives uh, so that there will be people right in front of us that we can, we can invite God, that we can listen to, that we can encourage. And God, we want to have influence but we want it to be eternal, not temporary. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.